Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aga. Good day. Thank you so much for joining Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka's podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of having my friend and colleague, Sarah Forte, who's the founder and managing lawyer of Forte Law based in British Columbia and Alberta, joining me to talk about her business, her trajectory, her future plans, her interests. And I'm so excited to have her join me. I hope you will enjoy the podcast. And I also want to give a shout out to the fact that Aka Law is expanding in our service offerings and we will be offering wills and estate support for our clients as well as focusing on corporate commercial and employment law so stay tuned more to come we're here for you if you need any assistance akalaw.com take good care bye-bye enjoy the podcast good day this is evelyn aka from ask Evelyn Aka Immigration Lawyer Podcast, and I have the pleasure today of introducing and welcoming my friend and colleague, Sarah Forte, who is the founder and managing lawyer Forte Law, and also many other businesses she'll tell you all about today. Welcome, Sarah. It's good to have you. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. So Sarah and I have gotten to know each other the last couple of years. We met at a workshop on um, writing and kind of doing editorials for newspapers. And so she's got a real entrepreneurial um, spirit, just like I do. And we've been talking a lot over COVID as business owners. Um, Her main office is in Surrey, British Columbia. And she also has a Calgary office that is also a a new expansion in the midst of COVID. So um, I'd love to ask you, Sarah, that you're a mom and a lawyer and a wife and a business owner, and you're super active in your community. Now that Canada seems to be slowly getting back to normal, everybody but Alberta, <laughs> what does your normal day look like still during this these COVID times? Well, it's not. It's I don't would wouldn't say we're back to normal completely, um, but we're 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 definitely in a getting that way. Um, for me, my day uh, starts at home, obviously, and you know, first priority for me is getting my kids sorted out for school. I have three of them. And it used to be um, go upstairs, make sure you brush your teeth and that you're wearing socks and underwear. And underwear. Okay. And now it's like go upstairs, make sure you brush your teeth, you're wearing socks and underwear, and where's your mask? Yeah. So it's one more thing on the list of uh, things that can be forgotten. But once they get out the door, usually at that point, I try to squeeze in a workout. Um, that's usually how I schedule my day. And then I come to the office. Um, that my office is two kilometers from my house, which is one thing that, you know, makes wearing a lot of hats doable when you just have a short distance to travel between yeah. all of your various things. Sure. Um, sure. So, and then my days at work are really varied. Um, I am primarily working out of the office now. We um, built a new office over the pandemic and mm. um, luckily it is much bigger than we need. Um, and so there's lots of room for people to space out um, and work safely uh, together. So we're all kind of working at the office and my days are a mix of, you know, firm management, you know, helping clients solve their legal problems at work. Um, and, you know, putting the finishing touches on our new space is, is taking That's up so a lot exciting. of time right now. That's so exciting. It is nice to be back at, in the office. I remember there was a time you were working from home too, like everybody else mm-hmm. was, as we were trying to transition to this new normal. What brought you to employment law? You know, my sister is also an employment lawyer, and I always think it's interesting what it is that attracts people to this area. 
Well, for me, it's the people and, you know, work is so central to people's lives and it's a really meaningful way to help. Mm -hmm. Um, I always think back to law school. I was doing um, interviews, on-campus interviews with some big firms from Toronto because I went to Queen's Law Mm -hmm. and I was sitting in, you're in those little like curtained off booths having this interview with these two lawyers. I (laughs) don't remember what firm it was. And I put all over my materials. I wanted to do labor and employment law. It's always what I wanted to do. And the one interviewer looks at the other interviewer and says, oh, labor and employment law. I think we have people that do that. (laughs) And the other lawyer's like, yeah, I do. I think they're on the eighth floor. And then the one looks at me and says, "Um, isn't that awfully pedestrian? And I was like, by pedestrian, do you mean it impacts everybody that walks down the street every day? Mm-hmm. Because if so, yes. And that's exactly why I want to do it. <laughs> so that was really affirming for me. Oh, like I didn't get an offer from that firm, not surprisingly. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't obviously wouldn't have been a good fit for me, but mm-hmm. the pedestrian nature is actually what I love about it. Everyone, you're at a cocktail party, you know, I mean, I guess we're not at cocktail parties anymore. What are we at? I'm I'm at the sidelines of a soccer game, yeah. one of my kids' soccer games, and we're talking about what we do, and and everyone can understand, you mm-hmm. know, because they all know someone who's gone through some legal problems at work and and needed some help. Yeah, it's definitely it's an area that I always say it's an area you need your lawyer when you're hiring and when you're firing. Like it's this, it seems to be constant in terms of the support that people need, whether you're the, you're the employer or the employee, you know? Um, so well, I see a lot of, of similarities yeah. to immigration in that way, in the, in the pedestrian nature, like, and how central where your home is um, mm-hmm. to your life every day. So I yeah. would imagine I mean, I'm not turning the interview around on you, but <laughs> are there parallels there with why, why you, I think there are parallels. And I think the reason we like it is because there are, it's about people, you know, I mean, I used to be a corporate lawyer and it was not my joy in life. And I needed to find that place where I love learning about the companies and the businesses and everything, but it's the people that make me still be a happy lawyer at 22 years in. Like, I literally don't think I could have survived five years doing corporate transactional work. So everybody has their thing and what their strengths are. And I think for you, you and I, we tend to be very social and outgoing and, you know, extroverted and deeply intuitive around people, you know, and I think that's what makes you so good at your work because you understand that empathy. And I think as an immigrant for me, that's what helps me with my empathy for new immigrants, whether they're executives or people who are just landing to start a new life as a caregiver, you know, it's all the same to me. So, but when you, I know you practiced Sarah at big firms and did the big downtown thing for a while in Vancouver. And then what moved you to consider moving into your own business? What was the driving force there? Well, one driving force was geography. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, similar to what's driving a lot of your clients. So for me, geography is a, a sort of a simple way to put it, but it was more about aligning my work and my family and my giving that I'm doing all in the same community. Yeah. Um, and really being present here as a as a good corporate citizen within the community. 
um, that was really central and, and that has really paid back mm-hmm. in spades in terms of finding synergies between all the various things that I'm doing. Um, and the other driver was just, like you said, the entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> um, I had tried on lots of different business plans. I wanted to be a florist. Oh my God. Um, I was going to have a bookstore. I was really, really into that. Um, we built a whole business plan around um, having a microbrewery. <laughs> and um but then at the end of the day, on each of those plans, I realized like, I actually, I really like books and I really like flowers and I really love beer, but I actually don't know anything about them. Um, and in the end, law is like, that was something I knew something about. Mm-hmm. Right? So what a, what a thing to leverage your entrepreneurial spirit with something, you know, Yes, um, and is something that's very, as far as a business goes and compared to those others, like I don't have inventory. I don't have a capital expenditures. Um, it's, it's a lot. Um, a services business is definitely a lot more streamlined. Yeah. I still might do one of those other ones, but I can see you doing all of them <laughs> from what I know about you. So was it, I mean, a lot of times for women and I shared this with, you know, we're an all female firm at our firm and I know you do have a, a couple of men lying around, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, predominantly female. What was it about the experience of being a lawyer at a big firm or, or in the big firm world that was also, that was challenging for you? Because obviously personally for me, it was, I was adopting my kids and I needed some flexibility that I just, I didn't see would work that well, not to say, I mean, I think when you own your own business, you're working all the time, but in different ways. So there is flexibility, but you're working when you're not sleeping, you're working in some way in your head with business, with clients, but at least you can do it in the terms or in your pajamas or whatever, right? From home, from vacation, from another location. What was it that drove you to, to look at practicing law differently? For me, I look at my career in phases and I had very good advice early on from actually the managing partner of the firm that I was at, mm-hmm. who was a woman. And she said to me, look at your career as a 40 year trajectory mm-hmm. and know that you don't have to do everything right now. Yeah. Just something might be important to you, but you know, you, if you try to do it all at the same time, <laughs> you're, you're inevitably going to fail. And so yeah. I really took that to heart and I still think about it all the time and I still have a lot of time left. Um, yeah. So for me, the big firm environment worked really well when I was a young lawyer. I loved it. I got a lot out of it um, professionally, professionally and personally. Um, I used to go to all the concerts in the box, you know, uh, we lived out, <laughs> um, you know, and I was able to enjoy the joys like yeah. of, of the good parts of being in a big firm. I learned a lot from like leading lawyers. Um, and then it sort of came to a point after I had my second child where I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure this is the best long-term fit for me. Um, and so I popped my head up and just started having conversations with people who were doing things different. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that exploration of like a bunch of coffees and lunches, I was able to see like, wow, I've got all these paths available to me um, that I didn't even know existed because I'd only ever worked in a big firm. Yep. Um, so 
that was that was kind of my path. And then I, it was another six years that I, I ended up going and working on a contract basis for a smaller firm. And then it was another six years there where I sort of went through the same exploration of like, okay, this isn't a good fit for me going forward anymore. It's been great. Um, you know, what, what might I do next? And really like looking at a real breadth of options and then before settling on my next step. Um, How long have you had Forte Law? It'll be five years on November 1st. So we're, we're coming up to a big, big day, which is exciting. It's so great to see how well you've grown and, and, you know, the learning, the, the challenges and the joys and the privileges of running your own business, really. Right. Well, and I have to say, given my six year and six year increments, I was thinking, gosh, what's going to happen at six years? Um, I've only got one year left. Um, but I, what I do know is this experience of, you know, entering the world of business and entrepreneurship. It, there's so many ways you can grow and so many like variations of what you're doing that I, I don't think this is going to have the same six-year expiry date as some of the other things. That I, I hope not. <laughs> Your marriage has left. I think, we're, I think we're safe. Yeah, no, this is the only career. After not everything. Career. Is career. <laughs> so listen, I saw on your website that you also founded stand-up teams. Um, in terms of that, can you tell me what that bystander um, project is about? Because a lot of people don't know what that means if you're not in the employment law world. What are you teaching and training on in addition yeah, to practicing super, labor and I mean, employment this, law? Yeah. I mean, this is an example of ways that you can develop new things to keep your practice interesting mm-hmm. when you have your own firm. Yeah. <laughs> you can decide to invest in whatever you want. And yeah. For me, working in employment law and workplace human rights um, since 2004 and even before law school, I worked in HR. I'd seen so much harm caused by harassment and discrimination at work. Mm -hmm. And by the time files were getting to me and clients were getting to me as a lawyer, the harm is done. Yeah. We can negotiate financial compensation. You know, maybe we can put into place new processes, but that person has been harmed and we can never undo that. And so I was really interested in how to make proactive change mm-hmm. um, as someone who's worked for many years in this area. Um, and harassment training is something that's been around for a long time, right? Like that's not news yeah. to anyone. Um, and in 2016, the Equal Op- Employment Opportunity Commission in the U.S. did a study, a longitudinal study, because in many states, it's actually been mandatory for decades to do harassment training. Mm-hmm. And they found that there was no evidence that harassment training was effective. None. Wow. So that was a big um, bombshell in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a lot of academics went to work to figure out what what is it about it that's not working and how can we create something that's more effective mm-hmm. and better for people. Um, and I always give the example of a friend. I have this male friend who works for a big company. You know, he's white. He is well-educated. He's a manager. And he had harassment training at work. So I always get very excited to hear like, oh, how did it go? You know, did, did you, what did you learn? And he's like, it's two hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. I know. And I was like, well, how could you say that? Because it's, yeah. it's so important and it's so interesting, but it is a very common review. Yeah. And he said, because I'm never going to harass anybody, which I believe, 
and I'm never going to be harassed, which someone in his position of his gender and his privilege, that's probably right. Yeah. And so it was irrelevant. There was nothing in that training for him. It was all about, you shouldn't harass people. And if you're harassed, you should say, say something. Yeah. So that's where bystander training comes in. So bystander training is trains the entire workforce on something that is relevant to them because we are all going to see disrespect and harassment and discrimination at work, Mm. whether we're, even if we're not the perpetrator or the victim, we all see it. And we can all think of an example of a time when we've seen something that wasn't right. And so bystander training, first of all, gives bystanders the understanding of like, what is bullying and harassment? Because like, number one, you see it and you're like, oh, that seems not okay. Maybe like, okay, well, let's give people the the measuring stick to say what's okay and what's not. So they know. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is letting them practice the skills to speak up because we are all in Canada for sure raised in this culture of it's none of my business. I don't want to interfere. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make assumptions. And so it's, it's two parts, right? It's like knowing what's okay and what's not, and then having the skills to speak up. Wow. Um, So with stand-up teams, we create customized training for organizations who want to support all of their team in creating a culture of respect. So yeah. it's very exciting. As that you sounds tell. fabulous. Very excited about it. I think it's fabulous. I mean, I think it makes sense because a lot of times people say, I didn't know what to say in the moment. It happened yeah. and I didn't know what to say. And sometimes as a person, as a person of color, sometimes the obligation is on you to say the thing or not, but then it's silent, right? And so I think it's wonderful that you're empowering everybody to understand when to call when to call out some things or to be able to go and have someone else's back in a supportive way to to use your voice or your position to to least be heard you know and I think that's fabulous how long have you been doing this well we've been doing it for a few years now I I sort of branded it and rolled it out in officially and you can check out the website at standupteams.ca I did that about a year ago um, and we sort of created you know, I, I, I invested some resources into it again, because I can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because I think it's, it's so important. And I think the point you made is really key and that we often, the, the victims are often actually in the worst, the worst position to be the ones to stand up and say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, it's really important, especially now that we're all becoming more aware of racism and, you know, um, discrimination against Indigenous people um, in particular over the last few years have really come to the forefront in terms of public recognition and acknowledgement. And so people want to know how to be an ally Mm -hmm. and how to support their friends at work. And this is, this is one way to do it. So it's fun to be part of something that's making good in the world, right? (laughs) I think you do a lot of good in the world. So Sarah, one thing that's interesting about your firm is you do the employment side for employers and for employees. Tell me how you made that decision because I know sometimes I've had to refer files out that are employment related. They'll say, oh, we only work for corporations or employers or we only work for employees. And I know there are firms that do both. How did that kind of happen? And do you feel like sometimes there inherent conflicts or how do you feel about that? And why did you feel you wanted to provide support to both, both of them? I think that's a really interesting question that comes from an, an inherent 
understanding of the relationship as adversarial, mm. which is really funny if you think of it, <laughs> Evelyn, as an employer. Yeah. Like, are you an adversary to no. people who work for you? No. Are you on a different no. side? No, yeah. employment is a relationship. Yeah. And I think when we pull back and we think about that as it, at its core, picking a side is, is really inconsistent with a relationship focus of employment law, which is where I truly believe it is and it lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's been a huge asset for us. Um, I always give an example, which is a true story about one day I had a client come in who was pregnant um, in the morning. She came in the morning, she was pregnant and she was um, being told by her employer that they were um, reorganizing and she was being demoted Mm. as part of that reorganization. She wanted to understand what her rights were, you know, what was fair and reasonable and how, how, what, what the rules are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I sat with her and we talked about that and we made a plan Um, and she was able to, carry on that afternoon I had a different different company not the same company because that would be a conflict but (laughs) different company came in and said you know what we're doing a reorganization and we have an employee who is pregnant and she is going to unfortunately be demoted as part of this reorganization we want to know what our rights are what our obligations are um, and you know we need help making a plan yeah of how to do this in a fair and reasonable way. Like there's more overlap in those two scenarios than differences. Absolutely. But it is so valuable. I find um, lawyers who just consistently act for one party in the employment relationship, you can't help but getting a little jaded against the other side. Right? <laughs> yes, like I've seen that. You know, if you're on, if you only act for employees, like companies are cheap and mean and, you know, out to screw you over or whatever. If you only act for employers, you're like employees are malingering and trying to cheat the system and untrustworthy, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, because you see the other side behaving badly, file after file after file. That's where we come in. That's all you see. You're right. And I think with when representing both, not only do I have a really good understanding of what the motivations and circumstances for the different parties to the relationship are Mm -hmm. um but you also just keep the humanity to it and my view is most parties to employment relationships and like people in the world are trying to do the right thing yeah sometimes they're going horribly wrong like don't get me wrong like that can be bad stuff and sometimes (laughs) they're not really trying to do the right thing at all (laughs) um but in most cases you know people are human and and trying to do the right thing and I think keeping being mindful of that makes practice more fun less stressful and it I think it informs strategy for my clients so much better than than someone who's Mm. only ever looking at things one way oh I love that answer that is that is a Sarah Forte answer. I love it. Because it's true. It really, really encompasses who you are. And I love that you're able to describe it in that way, because I don't think I've ever heard an employment lawyer explain that to me in that way. It makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you do both? You know, like for us in immigration, we act for individuals and we act for corporations. But when I was a big firm, and I think this is where it was coming from, we mostly acted for corporations at the big, big, big firms, because most individuals may not have been able to afford us 
right? So sometimes it's a matter of accessibility. Um, when you're in your work with employ- employers, have you seen cases where you've seen maybe foreign workers, you know, I guess this is the challenge when you come, they might have been educated elsewhere, they might speak a different, you know, original language. Have you seen more discrimination or any experiences of that? Or the challenges of immigrants trying to establish themselves again in the employment world after being, you know, senior somewhere else in the world, and then they have to start over again. Have you had any exposure to any of that? I mean, I think that's just a fact, Evelyn. I mean, I don't, anyone who would say that doesn't exist, I, I know probably hasn't been out enough in the world, <laughs> like prejudice, discrimination mm-hmm. against um, foreign qualifications, against foreign work experience, that just is in the world. And I am sorry for that. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's Canadian born and has, you know, the privilege, unearned privilege of not having to face that myself. Mm. And I, I certainly have seen that with my clients. I, I can give you one example. And of course, I can only, you know, of course, yeah. say so much because of confidentiality. Yeah. But I had one client who was, uh, who is a highly trained engineer. Yeah. Um, you know, had lived in Canada for some time, but, you know, some of his training was foreign, but he had multiple degrees and he was applying for an internal promotion and was very well qualified for it. Um, so goes through the process, comes out the other end and the person, and when you're an external applicant, you often don't see who gets the job, but when you're an internal applicant, of course you see, right? Mm -hmm. So he sees that the person who got the job was a Canadian-born Caucasian who didn't even meet the minimum educational criteria for the position. And he bravely started a human rights complaint. He did it all by himself Mm. um, and eventually had to, we ended up working together on it and there's some published decisions, which is why Mm -hmm. I can speak about it a little bit. Um, But, you know, and, and that, and he was able to pursue that um, as racism. Um, and you know, in, in BC, uh, section 13 of the human rights code is what, um, prohibits discrimination in employment Mm -hmm. based on the protected grounds and the protected grounds include race. Yeah. They include ethnic or ethnicity. They include place of origin. Place of origin. I think the challenge, I mean, I think that person is clearly very brave, like that's mm-hmm. the challenge is, you, you know, people think we've all experienced different things, whether it's sexism or racism or other means of discrimination, no matter what, no matter who you are. And I feel like most people just would just move on or mm-hmm. they would look for another opportunity. Right. It's, you know, we, I have friends and family and other people in my life that I know have encountered those walls or barriers. And sometimes it's just too hard to consider what the impact is of pursuing a complaint of any sort. So, I mean, obviously very brave to do because you know, there's almost a, there's a piece of your life that is going to be gone and you may lose your employment, of course, or the relationship or the whatever, because you're pursuing it. How do you advise people like how to make the decision of doing something like that versus let's just find something else and move on, like where your battles are, you know, those are the challenges. Those are the challenges. And I think for newcomers to Canada, especially, I mean, you know more about this than I do, but like, especially depending on their immigration status and what the terms are, you know, the 
the loss of employment and the consequences of that yeah. is is so different. It's yeah. not like you can cross the street and find another job or, you know, stay in your home here and, mm. and remain unemployed. That's not always an option. So the stakes are the stakes are different for every person. And yeah. so I always encourage people to reach out for advice. I, I have people who will say, well, I don't want to talk to a lawyer because I'm not willing to take it all away or I don't want to sue. And it's like, well, that's not why you talk to a lawyer. And I have people come in on all ends. So I have people coming in that are like, I'm here because I want to sue. Yeah. And then I have people that are like, I'm here, but like, I don't really want to do anything. Um, and what I do with all my clients is talk about their goals, mm-hmm. what their personal goals are. And as lawyers, as you know, we have the luxury of only looking out for one person's, um, you know, best interests. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do have, you know, clients come in and I have so much admiration from them who are bringing something forward because it's important to the world. Mm-hmm. But I always say, you know what, my job in this relationship is not to look out for the world. My job is to look out for you exactly. and what's going to work for you. And so we always identify what their goals are. We take a real hard look at, you know, what their fears are mm-hmm. and whether they're well-founded. And sometimes they are right. And you have to, those practical points, mm. the costs, like of the human costs of pursuing things, we, you really do need to look at and go in eyes wide open to, mm-hmm. and in every, you know, consultation meeting, I go through all the options. And one of the options is always do nothing. Yeah. And I have full respect for clients who decide to take that path. I think especially people who have experienced harassment or discrimination, mm-hmm. like you have to choose and it is your right to choose whether you want to do something about this or not. And sometimes it's not the right time for you and that's yeah. okay. And sometimes it is, and that's okay too. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. leaving space for autonomy, I think people often come in feeling quite powerless Yes. and, and, and making sure at least in their relationship with me, and their decisions moving forward, they are in the position of power to choose. And I, my job is just to guide them through that and give them the information they need to be in the driver's seat. That is so great, Sarah. Oh my goodness. Tell me one last couple of questions. Tell me about um, not your average law job. That is so cool. Again, another business, not the beer business, but <laughs> another <laughs> business. Where did that come from? Because I know you and all of a sudden it was you had another thing and I was like, what happened here? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I feel like we keep circling back, which I guess is the sign of a good conversation, but (laughs) it's like the things you can do when you're, you know, Mm -hmm. self-employed is you can take on whatever passion projects light your fire and not your average law job was something, um, I thought about many years ago as I was you know, telling you about those transition points in my career where I was going out and meeting people and finding out that there's all these awesome things you can do as a lawyer that I had no idea even existed. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, I was searching on the internet and just not finding information about that. Yeah. Sort of like life after law. There was that, you know, yeah. a body of information for people who were going to leave the legal profession and what else they could do and not be a lawyer. Or there was sort of the traditional, like, you can, you can, work at a big firm, you can go in-house, you can work for government, or you can leave law, right? Yeah. Just sort of like these yeah. boxes. Um, so I really wanted to create a resource for lawyers who were unhappy in their jobs 
um, to keep them or at least give them some options because not everyone, as you've said, has the outgoing personality that you and I have Mm. and the emotional ability to reach out and even just the financial stability to do that Mm -hmm. because people Mm -hmm. often feel like it's risky for me to go and talk to people about other jobs because what if I lose someone finds out and then I lose this job right and I can't afford to do that so that was that was the point of not your average law job I just wanted to have a sort of open resource where people could hear about other ways to practice Mm -hmm. get inspired have it paired with job postings and resources so you could actually like kind of have the full experience, right? Get inspired, get some, do some reading and then find a new job that might fit better for you, like all in one stop shop. <laughs> um, so that's that's not your average law job. Um, wow. Got a website too, not notaveragelaw.com. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've we've really been building we just launched in June and it's been building really quickly with interest so I'm I'm really it's that that piece is a a dream come true for me like I've dreamed about it for a long time and now it's happening I love it I love it I love how you've used your time during COVID you've just like launched basically two different things on in addition to growing your business and in addition to growing the Calgary office so I mean you're just you're living the dream living the dream. <laughs> well, you know, I always feel like not it, getting, but... I'm not getting enough sleep. That's for sure. But Tell me about what? it. I'm also, I'm also having a lot of fun and I'm, I'm grateful to be at a position in my life where I can do these things, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And um, having wonderful friends and supporters like you, mm-hmm. you know, always buoys me up to like, go, go get them on whatever the next dream is. And I don't know, before you ask, I don't know what it is yet, (laughs) but I feel like there's another, I need to do it. I need to just take it from you and add to my list because you clearly have a lot going on, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your journey with me and our podcast and our listeners and viewers. And honestly, it's been so fast and furious. It's already almost over, but I want to just thank you so much for your time. And if anyone wants to talk to Sarah at Forte Law for an employment issue, labor issue, or the other businesses she has, so that the other one is stand-up teams. And then the most recent one is Not Your Average Law Job, which I've seen online and it looks fabulous. And I've even signed up for it, not that I'm going anywhere, but it's a wonderful (laughs) place to, to look for different kind of lawyers or people who think differently, who will be, you know, disruptors, I think, to the practice of law. So I'm always looking for great people. So thank you so much for participating today. Well, and I think you have used Not Your Average Law Job as an employer who offers Not Average Law Jobs. So um, really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Evelyn, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you in Calgary. Thank you. I hope the information was valuable to you. Please do let me know if you have any questions. You can reach us at akalaw.com, A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com, or you can contact us by phone at 403-452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you.